Welcome to this Endo Life episode 51. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. This episode is sponsored by my friends at BU. Guys, I've got some really exciting news. BU have brought out a CBD range. I know so many of us in here in the UK have struggled to get our hands on good quality CBD, especially because there's really vague regulations here and I just personally feel like I don't really know who to trust and i feel that so many of the CBD products are a hundred pounds plus and I don't really want to invest in a company or a product that is that expensive without knowing if it you know what what kind of quality it is but BU are striving to provide the highest quality CBD products on the market they have pharmaceutical background which means they have the science and knowledge to ensure that they're able to make the best and purest CBD products available and I've spoken to them about this and they are super passionate and feel really strongly about making sure that they are um, providing yeah just the highest quality highest quality products possible. You can get your hands on a CBD muscle balm, which I've been using for my period and Chris has been using on his tight shoulders, an oral spray and oral drops. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis symptom tracker. If you feel like you're in pain all the time or you're tired all the time and you just can't tell what's making your endo better or worse, which is what I'm currently dealing with with my interstitial cystitis, I can never say that word, then this tracker could help you begin to understand subtle patterns in your endometriosis symptoms. By using this tracker every day, charting your mood, pain, brain fog and other symptoms and noting down what you eat, your stress levels and lifestyle habits, you'll begin to understand the crucial relationship between your body, your life and endometriosis. Understanding this is key to making changes that actually work and have a positive effect. As always, this guide doesn't replace your medical treatment and it's not intended to treat or cure endometriosis, but it provides you with a tool that I use personally to help me live well with endometriosis and work out what was helping me and wasn't helping me. To download, just head to the show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. So today we are talking about PMDD with Laura Murphy, who is the director and co-founder of Vicious Cycle PMDD. Just to let you know that this episode comes with a trigger warning as we discuss suicidal feelings several times during the interview. So if you are sensitive to that topic, then um, yeah, please look after yourself and you might want to skip this episode. I also wanted to let you know that this might not be the normal type of conversation that you're used to hearing on the show. Um, We focus a lot on the conventional medical treatments of PMDD, but I am on the hunt for a holistic PMDD specialist. I'm not sure if one exists. I think we're in really early stages with PMDD in terms of kind of the approaches and what works from my understanding, but um, I am on the lookout. So if you know anyone, please let me know as I'd love to have them on the show. PMTD or premenstrual dysmorphic disorder is a really incredibly severe version of PMS which can affect anyone with a period and can impact on their day-to-day lives. 
we're going to talk about this a lot more in the interview, but I just kind of want to give you a bit of an overview that like endo, PMDD is often unheard of, it's misdiagnosed, it's ignored, but it affects one in 20 administrators and a lot of doctors haven't heard of it, but it causes really serious issues such as um, suicidal thoughts. I really think it's essential that we raise awareness amongst the medical community and the public and you know these conditions can cross over so you could have endometriosis and PMDD um not that there's I'm not saying there's a link there but you you could have both you could have PCOS and um PMDD or PCOS and endo so I just feel that I've wondered before if I've had PMDD I know other friends have wondered if they've got PMDD it's a really serious condition and so I felt that even though it's not directly related to endo it is indirectly and I would hate to think that I've got listeners out there suffering with PMDD unaware and undiagnosed so I just had to get Laura on the show. So if you ever searched up anything about PMDD online the chances are Laura's been involved. This woman is a powerhouse. She works tirelessly to raise awareness of this invisible illness and I'm certain she won't stop until we know exactly what it is. I've met Laura in person and she's just so passionate and relentless in her pursuit to raise awareness and I love her for it. She's gone through so much with her own experience of PMDD and she's really taken that really quite awful experience and she's turned it into courage and resilience um, and yeah I just absolutely admire her story. In this episode I chat to Laura about her really lengthy diagnosis, what the condition actually is so we're going to dive more into that and some of the theories behind it. Uh, the symptoms and the treatment options for anyone living with the disease. This episode is such an important listen. So if you could, I would love you to share it with a friend and maybe they would share it with a friend or share it on your Instagram or something because I've been in some really dark places with my PMS, really, really dark and a very distinct memory of calling up um, a mental health helpline and looking up a suicidal kind of retreat house called Maytree because I was so low and I just hate to think that others are out there yeah please share it if you feel you know if you feel called to because um I think the more people who can hear this interview the better really yeah I hope that it's helpful for you please reach out if you feel like to Laura if you feel like you may be affected by PMDD or you know who know someone who might be Um, or if you have any further questions, obviously feel free to DM me. So here is Laura. So, um, firstly, I'd really like to begin with what PMDD is because I only heard about it, hmm, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And I think it's a condition that is so important to talk about and has the potential to really affect lives. So, um, yeah, I just think everyone needs to needs to know what it is. Yeah, I agree. So um, PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's a hormone based mood disorder affecting one in 20 women and assigned female at birth individuals. Um, it's essentially a very, very severe fear of very, bleh, a very severe form of PMS. Um, so it's debilitating psychological symptoms some people have physical as well um, that affect people within the luteal phase so around between ovulation 
and around the time of your period. So for some people, it finishes as soon as the period arrives. And for other people, it um, lasts a few days into your periods. But there's always at least a week sort of clear after your period where you don't have psychological symptoms. Okay. And I want to get into the signs and the symptoms later on, but can we go into, if you're happy to, like your story of PMDD? Because I think that will be really helpful to for people just to recognise those patterns and hear someone's story. Sure, no problem. So um, I think mine is quite a common story, really. Um, I used to think it was quite unique when I was going through it all but then as soon as you start to meet other people with PMDD you're like oh okay (laughs) this all makes sense there's so many of us so um I started suffering with mental health issues when I was a teenager um I started the pill when I was 17 for heavy periods um and from day 21 of taking the pill my life kind of changed forever really I collapsed on the floor my mum was calling the doctor to get me stated um, I went into a deep depression for about six months. Wow. Had panic attacks. And then for the next um, 17 years, really, I had lots of longer bouts of depression. So sort of six months, six, six months to a year kind of bouts of depression, but also um, really bad PMS. And it was kind of a bit of a running joke when I lived with four other girls at uni that I was quite scary. <laughs> Uh, when I was due on and that kind of all makes sense now I would get very aggressive and snappy and um, so it just kind of continued on really throughout my 20s I was losing sort of two to five days probably a month to what I now know to be PMDD where I'd just have to sleep I had hypersomnia which is kind of the opposite of insomnia where no matter how much sleep, you don't ever feel rested. So I'd, you know, sleep for 14, 15 hours a night, get up and eat, and then have to go back to bed because I was just exhausted. Like, you just, it's not the kind of tiredness you can push through and have some caffeine. Yeah, it yeah. It knocks you out. So, um, and I'd get very aggressive, and I'd get tired, and I'd have panic attacks, and I'd sob, and... Just, I, I remember now looking back, my ex-partner saying like, you know, it's living with a different person for a week a month. And um, I don't think I really had the insight to to pick up on that at the time. I just kind of thought I was a horrible person and I suffered with really bad PMS and I was just broken and weak and, you know, not a good person. I thought mm. it was my, a character flaw rather than anything biological. Which is so common with these kind of conditions that we think it's something to do with us or we're not trying hard enough. Or Yeah, and people don't talk about it. So then you're sort of stuck in this loop of just down talking yourself and believing these voices, you know, that are. And to be honest, for me, you know, I was going to see doctors and they were saying, you know, it's just PMS. It's something, you know, every woman has to learn to live with. Um, It's just part of being a woman. And so I did just honestly believe it was me and I was just really weak. Yeah. And um, my mental health just kind of got worse, really. I had no confidence because I was losing all these days all the time to feeling really depressed yeah, of course. panic attacks and starting jobs and not being able to stick at jobs 
having to walk out, having to leave halfway through the day um, due to panic attacks, hiding in the toilets, you know, um, really, really common. And I just honestly thought it was me. I just, and then that kind of sparked on more periods of depression because I wasn't getting where I wanted in life. Um, and it just kind of got worse and worse, really. Um, I reacted badly to most types. I think pretty much every type of hormonal birth control I ever tried, which is pretty common. Again, with PMD, um, for some people, it works a treat. It's a recommended treatment. Um, but for other people, they um, really don't do very well on it. Um, I remember being at university and my boyfriend having to pack me a bag and send me home because I was I wanted to punch one of my housemates. Oh. And yeah, that is not me. You know, I'm not an aggressive person. Um, certainly not now. But I literally it just filled me full of rage. I was so aggressive and not myself. So I think in the beginning of my I think probably late 20s, early 30s, my GP sort of said, you know, no, no more trying any pills like obviously they do not agree with you yeah um I think when I was about 30 I had the marina coil put in which I was kind of uh, was I pressured I was heavily heavily pushed towards having it in it was very much sold to me the best thing since sliced bread it's fantastic you won't have any periods you know Oh, lovely. It would be so good. I definitely feel like every time I go to the doctors, they try to push me to the coil. Like, I don't think I've had a conversation with my consultant. I don't have one right now, a consultant, but um, like the past two years, I would say they've been trying to make me have the coil. Yeah. Do you know they're paid for it? Well, every, pers- every person they get to have one, they get £70. I, uh, look it up <laughs> I think it's 70 or 75 pounds I mean um, honestly it doesn't make any sense because I my symptoms are under control mm-hmm. so why they're pushing me for it yeah they want some money I just got really to 70 pounds soon adds up yeah yeah <laughs> um so I was very much I looking back I was very vulnerable and I probably wasn't in the right frame of mind to be making big decisions well is it a big decision? It was, it turned out it was a very major decision. Um, but for the first couple of years, I was kind of actually okay. Then I went backpacking on my own for three months, um, around Southeast Asia, had a lovely time, came back and crashed and burnt again. I was signed off work for 18 months sick. I was suicidal, it was basically being in constant PMDD, so this constant oh stage gosh. of anxiety. I've, I've suffered from depression before, and I've suffered from panic attacks. I've never suffered from anxiety, and I've never suffered from anxiety with depression, which right. is crippling mm. because your body is pulling you in two different directions 24-7. Um, it's, it's really hard, really hard. And I really struggled and I was off work. I couldn't work. I was very lost. I was often suicidal and nearly acting on it for the first time probably in my life. And it was it was horrific. I don't even know how to how to sum it up. And I was Googling, you know, Marina and Maria and Marina and depression. 
And I was seeing all these things, you know, in some countries it's banned to have the marina if you've ever had depression. Really? Yeah. I think, I can't remember which countries it was. I'd have to look it up. But all these links and people saying, you know, I've had this reaction. It's been awful. I've had it. I've been suicidal. I was going to my doctor again and she was telling me that, no, it's a tiny amount of progesterone. Justin, there's no way it can affect you. There's no way it can have this reaction. It only stays locally. It doesn't travel around your body. So that's not it. And I believe them. <laughs> and at the same time, my hair started falling out. I was getting alopecia. Oh, so I was wow. getting big sort of 50p size ball patches on my head. And weirdly you know I went to the doctor for that and I walked in and out with a referral you know Mm. because she could see it yes oh gosh so true they could see it and my mum was saying you know we'll pay privately to get this sorted we should go and get this looked at and despite the fact that I was quite self-conscious and worried because with alopecia they're telling you you know it could just all come out at any time you could wake up in the morning and all your hair could be gone which is terrifying which really adds to the anxiety which is awful (laughs) but um hey ho and but it was the crushing and relentless depression and anxiety that was really affecting my life you know you can I had so many quiffs <laughs> for about a year and a bit trying to hide these ball patches. Um, lots of like back combing and stuff, trying to hide it. Um, but, you know, if you can't function day to day, that's when the issue is. And I, at that time, so I started having private um, counselling. Wonderful, wonderful woman um, who I saw. And I had another awful doctor's appointment. And went to my counselling straight from there and it was her that kind of said you know this isn't PMS this isn't you being weak this is something else like this isn't what everyone else has to deal with trust me and that's the first time someone had ever really said that to me and picked up on it so I went home and googled you know severe PMS PMS suicidal and up popped PMDD and it was you know we call it the light bulb moment where everything starts making sense you read down the list of symptoms and you're like oh my god tick 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 that's me that's me that's me and then I joined the as you do you go on Facebook and look it up joined the um, UK PMTD support group and it was you know it was just just jaw-dropping really you're just scrolling down these posts and there's just so many people just like you it's just like oh my god all the people that have had relationship breakdowns due to it all the people that have reacted badly to birth control pills, all the people that have been crying in toilets at work and not sure why, um, the depression, the, the what I now know to be suicidal ideation, so very sort of passive suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, it's it, it's just so important that people get that moment, some clarity on what they're going yeah, through. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I want to go into the way that things are, the way that PMDD is kind of treated and kind of the, the support options that are available for you. But what 
where did you go from there from that point onwards like what was your path so I through the UK PMDD support group found out there was UK treatment guidelines and kind of printed them off and learned them and tried to figure out where I was and it turns out sort of by chance or rule of elimination I tried a lot of the first line therapies already I'd been on and off antidepressants for years which is a first line a, a good first line treatment for many I'd gone through all the oral contraceptives there were the marina obviously had gone terribly terribly wrong and I found out about progesterone intolerance which is fairly common in people with PMDD so um they just cannot tolerate any form of synthetic progestins so that's would explain why I've been so so poorly with the marina coil fit and why it had got worse over time because I think it just built up and up and up so it explains why I was okay probably for a couple of years and um, then I found out through the support group that there was a doctor in London called Dr Finet who'd written the treatment guidelines ran a PMS and menopause clinic and I had his sort of name on the back burner for a bit and tried to sort of muddle through and by this point I'd met my really lovely partner bless him and um he used to try and take me out sort of cheer me up when I was really bad when I was struggling to function and I was really down and there was one day we'd been to drop some stuff off at a shop somewhere and as we came out he was sat in the car and I almost walked in front of a lorry in front of him and that to me was just I don't know that was just the moment it scared me it really scared me that I could do that and the only well not the only reason the reason I stopped myself was because I, I thought oh he'll be late to pick his little girl up from school you know that was my sort of my rational thought you know <laughs> not that I'd scar him forever but that he'd be late picking someone up um unfortunately you know the rational side often sort of disappears and the emotional side takes over so that scared me enough to go to my doctor and say I need something else now and so she referred me to Dr Benet and thankfully it was covered by the NHS in my in my borough where I live in Kent and so, you know, got put on the waiting list, went up to see him. Um, he's got a, well, his, his oh, waiting really? list is growing ever longer, poor man. But uh, yeah, he's very in demand. So he, I, I imagine the same as quite possibly as endometriosis, where there's a lack of um, specialists or doctors that properly understand how to treat it. Uh, that's a real issue within PMDD even though there's guidelines unfortunately there's no um, one size fits all treatment so it's very hit and miss and trial and error people have to try a lot of things and it's 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 very difficult so yeah from seeing Dr Panay I think that was the first doctor I'd sat in front of I think in 17 18 years I'd had a conversation with and understood what I was saying um and who basically, you know, believed me and said, yep, this all sounds very tick, 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 you know, starting in the teenage years, worsening, worsening with the marina coil, worsening at the age of 30, you know, the kind of tipping point. 
Um, so I started on the sort of second and third line therapies through him then. And unfortunately, I'm one of the people, there's a minority of people that are treatment resistant. So I had a total hysterectomy with bilateral oophorectomy when I was 37, I think, or maybe 38. So about 18 months ago. And have you felt any relief from that? Uh, yeah, definitely. So it isn't perfect. I'm still having fluctuations. Um, then no one's ever quite sure why, although it's not really uncommon. Um, you're very, very sensitive to those fluctuations. So I'm still a bit up and down and I still haven't got my HRT level right. I've just upped it again, I think six weeks, five, six weeks ago, my estrogen. So, um, I've been having lots of fun with feeling very nauseous for six weeks. <laughs> oh, bless you. Wanting lots of bread. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully you're able to find kind of a level that suits you and things kind of even out. Yeah, I do hope so. It, it does for most people, like a vast, vast majority. They get there. Unfortunately, some do really, really suffer, um, which is why, you know, it's the last line of treatment. And you know, not the go-to solution. Yeah, of course. So, what do they think the causes of PMDD are, or is? So, it's a hormonal sensitivity in the brain. So, basically, your hormone levels are normal, um, unless you happen to have an imbalance as well, which obviously some people do. But PMDD in itself is not a hormonal imbalance. Um, generally, your hormones are normal; they're doing their fluctuations up and down as they should. Um, something in your brain that has an abnormal, severe negative reaction to those fluctuations. So your brain is just not processing those big surges as it should. And it's, um, okay. so it's, it's essentially a hormone sensitivity. So some people do still suffer once they're in surgical menopause, because obviously you still have fluctuations. So you still are very, very sensitive to those. But the idea is that having the surgery kind of flattens out your hormones so that you can sort of manipulate them manually with HRT. That's the idea. So some people still do really suffer, but hopefully for the vast majority, they're kind of like flatlined out with HRT so that you keep a stable level. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So is the kind of intolerance slash allergy, is it to both? Like, I mean, which hormones is it? Um, they're they're not quite sure there's thought to be lots of well a few different subtypes of pmdd that haven't been it's not been figured out yet there's a real lack of research there's very few research centers there's very few projects going on with it so um i don't know some people react really well to progesterone some people really really don't um some people have two months. Uh, this is speaking about, you know, a classic 28-day cycle. Obviously, other people have regular cycles and longer, shorter cycles. So speaking about a 28-day cycle, for some people, they may have PMDD for two weeks a month. For other people, they may have a blip of ovulation and then they may be okay again for a bit and then they'll feel worse again near the period. Other people have it the whole way through. Um, in my 20s, I definitely had it, I think, only near the end. So just as I was about to come on, I think when I had really severe symptoms. 
So it really is, there's so many variations and obviously there's so many things that probably tie into it, your diet, stress levels, supplements, nutrition, exercise, you know, there's so many sort of variants on what you're doing that could potentially worsen or help it and that can change from month to month (laughs) so it's really important to sort of track I I think this is why it's so important you know that we're teaching menstrual literacy in schools yeah no absolutely and I I just had Maisie Hill on the show this morning um talking about tracking yeah so I'm so glad I feel like every guest I've had on for this forthcoming season saying the same thing when it comes to recognizing the signs and symptoms, how do we differentiate between bad PMS and maybe a hormone hormonal imbalance? Because, for example, with endometriosis, excess estrogen symptoms can also kind of coincide with bad PMS symptoms. And then together, do they then look like PMDD? But it's not PMDD. What do we need to look out for? Where does that line where is that line between PMS and PMDD? So I think the main difference or one helpful difference is that a hormone imbalance can be picked up with a blood test. So um, if you are exhibiting signs of a hormone imbalance, your GP should be running blood tests to see if there is one. If um, you have pure PMDD, so no imbalance, it's likely your hormone levels would come back within the normal brackets of you know criteria then nothing of the ordinary will show up that doesn't mean you don't have PMDD because currently there is no test for PMDD no blood or saliva test it's all done through historical tracking um and in terms of the difference between PMS and PMDD it's all in the severity of symptoms so well I say that that's severity symptoms but also there may be a different biological cause so PMDD is now known to be a genetic malfunction and they aren't sure whether PMS has that same genetic malfunction Um, as of yet I think it's showing it doesn't but there's still obviously lots of research to be done the main difference between PMS and PMDD is the severity of symptoms so you're talking instead of having few sort of teary days where you might be a bit teary um you're full-on sobbing like someone's died and you can't stop it instead of perhaps feeling a bit anxious it's full-on anxiety sometimes where people can't leave the house instead of being a bit peckish and wanting snacks it's full-on binge eating that's out of control and it's very much for PMDD it has to have a knock-on effect, knock-on effect on your life, so it must be affecting your work, home, or personal relationships. Which obviously, if you are suffering from severe psychological symptoms, it's going to have effect on all those things. So um, I think one of the main points is is with PMDD comes often, not for everyone, but suicidal ideation. So that's thoughts of not existing anymore, thoughts of killing yourself, thoughts of not existing anymore. Um, And I think the latest figures, we just did a massive survey with IAPMD. So that's International Association for Premenstrual Disorders, um, that 30% of those with PMDD had attempted to take their life. 
and the numbers for those who had planned it um, were a lot higher than that. So suicidal ideation and suicidal thinking is a big part of it. So if your PMS is making you have thoughts of suicide, then PMDD is something probably you want to look up and do a bit of research on. What if you had suicidal thoughts, but you didn't have, and you had bad PMS, but you wouldn't, it wasn't to the severity that you're talking about now? Um, it's still definitely worth looking it up. PMDD is a spectrum. So obviously it depends on your age. It depends on if you've had any triggers. So some people, for example, so PMDD affects one in 20 people uh, women and assigned female at birth individuals in their reproductive life cycle. So for some people, we have parents of 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds who have already started exhibiting symptoms. Um, others won't have any PMS out of the ordinary until they have children. So that then triggers the PMDD. Some people might not suffer from it until they have perimenopause. So usually it started, it seems, by some kind of hormonal um, interruption. So for some people, it's not until they've had an ablation. So that could tie into people that have had endometriosis or some kind of gynecological procedure where the hormones, your natural cycle is kind of interrupted in some way. There's a big jump up or down and that seems it can trigger it off. So, and there is, you know, it's a spectrum disorder. So for some people, if they're having two days, they might have two days a month and it might be, unpleasant like quite deeply unpleasant but it's bearable and they can live a pretty normal life and then you know the other end of the spectrum we have people that are in psychiatric units every month for their for their safety you know there's a big big spectrum so again it comes down to tracking and knowing your normal and um how much you, i mean people know for themselves how much it's affecting themselves if they're concerned about their safety if they're having these thoughts, but they're unpleasant, but they're kind of okay, they're managing it, then, you know, it's, you probably still want to do some reading on it, perhaps see if it fits, something else might fit you better. You don't know. It's, it's all about just seeing what your normal is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's so, I feel like it's tricky to understand if it, if it's a spectrum, then if you're at the lower end of the spectrum, that must be quite difficult to distinguish if it's just really bad PMS or the beginning of PMDD. Yeah, essentially. You know, like I feel like I have, depending on how I'm taking care of myself, I have really bad PMS and sometimes I'm okay. And when that PMS is bad, it usually does come with suicidal thoughts. And I've had like discussions with my, with like my best friend being like, I'm not, like I don't know how safe I am at those points yeah and so that make yeah so and I'm like complete you know I'm really fatigued but I have endometriosis and so that's a symptom of endometriosis and a symptom of estrogen dominance so it's just quite difficult to I think it's in that situation when there's you know dual diagnosis I think because I've other than having heavy periods I think I and they weren't exceptionally heavy, you know. I'm not talking about endos endos or um, is it adenomyosis? I don't have to say it. Yeah, adenomyosis. Yeah, so it, I think it's a bit different in the case of a dual diagnosis because in my case, 
I had heavy periods, but nothing, you know, nothing sort of diagnosable, just a bit um, uncomfortable. You know, I never really suffered dreadfully with pain, just the normal kind of run of the mill cramps, nothing, nothing untoward. Um, So mine was pretty much all psychological um other than the fatigue and um near the end in my 30s like the joint pain was just you know I'd literally you know have to leg you know lift one leg in front of the other to be able to walk it was just exhausting um if you have a dual diagnosis then that's when you really need to be under a doctor who knows how to treat both conditions Right, and can okay. help you kind of unpick the two because I don't think there's an easy answer there. Um, like you say, with the estrogen dominance, I don't know how that would work. I, I don't know too much about that personally. I'm kind of a PMDD only. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. So there's there's enough there. <laughs> yeah, so I think it would be definitely worth exploring it and tracking it and tracking those triggers and tracking if your stress is particularly bad that month because you know that can have such such an effect on it um but like like I said only you know how bad it's affecting you and how bad it's affecting you psychologically so definitely just keep a note of it all and track it all and self-care you don't have a plan in place for those times like you said you talk to your best friend that's really helpful to have that person you can talk to in those situations and open up about it Mm. I think for anyone who's listening who's also like a little bit unsure Maisie Hill's new book does address PMDD and talks about whether or not that distinguishing between PMDD and like quite a severe hormone imbalance like estrogen dominance which is really common with endometriosis so yeah that that's kind of in the book and in, in, it's not a massive section but I think if anyone Maisie is probably a good person to go to because she does have a clinic so yeah that that could be like a good start um if you're if you're in the UK that is just a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by BU BU have just released their own CBD muscle balm it smells really soothing, like a sort of like a beeswax candle. It does have beeswax in it, so you can kind of faintly smell that. And I love the smell of beeswax candles. Um, it's a really lovely texture. It's not too oily or sticky, so you don't have to worry about it getting on your clothes or um, kind of your clothes sticking to you. That's always kind of annoyed me in the past with other balms that I've used. Um, and to top it off, it's totally natural and made simply with organic coconut oil, organic beeswax, organic argan oil, organic rosehip oil, organic geranium oil, eucalyptus essential oil, lavender essential oil, and cannabinoid rich hemp extract with 300 milligrams of CBD. If you'd like to check out their CBD range, head to the link in my show notes and let me know if you try. I'd love to hear. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis symptom tracker. If you kind of feel a bit overwhelmed by your pain and your symptoms and you really just don't know where to start with managing them then tracking your symptoms over a couple of months or even just a month to see what your triggers might be could be really helpful I've put together a free download that helps you track your pain your mood your brain fog uh, your bloating 
where you are in your cycle, your eating habits, your stress levels, so many different things um, in a really simple and effective way. If you'd like to try it out, um, obviously it's free. Just head to the show notes, follow the link and you can get your own copy. How can someone go about getting a diagnosis if they feel that they might have a risk of having PMDD? Um, So in the UK, if we're talking UK specific, there should be an easy path to diagnosis. (laughs) However, of course, when it comes to most women's health, there is not. There is a real lack of training, a real lack of information. Um, I think especially at GP level, as I'm sure anyone who's obviously people who live and listen to your podcast have, I imagine, have reproductive health conditions and suffer through that. And I imagine lots of them have had issues with their GP getting, you know, they are the gate masters, aren't they? Um, So I would say, you know, tracking is the first thing you do get a good tracking app there's me v pmdd um that's probably better for pure pmdd i imagine you might want a different tracker if you have other reproductive health conditions okay you want to be tracking really good tracker get that information down your gp should be um ruling out a hormone imbalance and they should be ruling out thyroid conditions, which can also sort of mimic PMDD. So that's really important. And then a diagnosis of PMDD is made purely on historical tracking. So you have to fit sort of that criteria, but the other things should be ruled out first. So some people might find themselves in the position, the lucky position of having a GP that understands PMDD and has heard of it and believes it exists that would be a treat Mm -hmm. that'd be nice um and can make a diagnosis in um so first in primary care and for lots of people it seems that's like finding a mythical unicorn (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately um if you're struggling to get a diagnosis um you just keep knocking on doors until you find someone who will listen to you that is my advice. I wish I could give a really simple answer. I think all we can tell people is to believe in what you're going through and just keep knocking on doors until you find the right person that will help you or help get you to the someone that can help you. So um, on the IAPMD website, mm-hmm. there's a find a doctor section and that has has all um, doctors all around the world, it's international, but doctors that have been recommended by other people with PMDD um, to have good knowledge and good knowledge of treating PMDD. So we are quite fortunate in the UK. Um, Unfortunately, there's nowhere near enough, but compared to other countries, you know, I work for an international nonprofit. Um, I work for IAPMD, I should say that. that there's other countries around the world you know you're looking at places like Canada and South America and even actually in America I mean there if you look at the map it's pretty sparse compared to the UK I think we've got a real benefit being on a little island that um, our map looks a lot fuller (laughs) so hopefully if you 
the map um you shouldn't be too far away from someone that you can either be referred to in the nhs or or sadly a few private ones but um yeah to be honest looking back i wouldn't be adverse to throwing a bit of money at it to get the ball rolling um if i had my time again okay yeah no that's that's really helpful and i unfortunately i think that's the case with endo as well i can imagine you know if you go private then things will happen a lot faster yeah it's sad isn't it yeah it is i mean hopefully things are gonna things are shifting but obviously they're gonna take time yeah i think so we recently just did a massive survey i think the average wait the average diagnosis time in the uk was 12 years oh gosh wow so and it's also because it can i don't know does does endo always start in um puberty or is it something no mine started when i was like 18 19 okay and does it start at a young age or can it sort of start later in life well it could maybe it's maybe it has started behind the scenes mm-hmm. and there's no symptoms but people could go without any symptoms or any awareness of endometriosis until they have a cesarean and they're they see that they're full of endometriosis or you know they can't get pregnant or suddenly they get symptoms after they come off a pill at 30 okay okay so it can be a very silent illness as well yes absolutely yeah so you could it's difficult to pinpoint when it actually began like you couldn't really say yes it always starts in puberty no I think just because all the people I know that have it are quite young women Mm. um or have been quite aware of it from a young age so I wondered I just think in in contrast to PMDD you know some people don't have symptoms or don't they help they hold the genetic malfunction obviously clearly but they don't perhaps feel the effects until they've had a child at 30 and then that's it it's relentless every month yeah yeah it's yeah it's, it's just I was just interested in the in the difference or similarity yeah I mean I I feel like there's probably some I mean we've spoke about this briefly before when we've met but there's no is there any link between PMDD and endometriosis do you know not that I'm aware of I think uh, we've just done a huge survey so vicious cycle which is an awareness campaign I run and IAPMD and me v pmdd the app all kind of got together and ran this global survey and so all the survey all the information is currently being compiled and will be published by the university of chicago um in that there was a section about dual diagnosis to see who suffered from from what uh as we know potentially so depression has links to inflammation and gut inflammation Mm. so who knows there might be it might turn out that there's a subsection that it's linked to inflammation yeah yeah no but currently no not that I've not that I've heard of it seems to be mainly in the brain you know what it is in the brain it's a a clink (laughs) yeah yeah it's just super interesting because I feel like a lot of people with endo suffer extreme yeah extreme symptoms come their premenstrual phase but that could just be endo and excess estrogen so yeah I'd be really essentially if you could do you know when the uh, data is going to be released we don't yet um we've had a meeting about it recently um no is the answer to that <laughs> <laughs> because we kind of want to do it once and do it right and not rush it absolutely so of course it's 
we're taking our time. It was a massive, massive survey, and we had over 3,000 participants around the world. Wow. So it's a lot of information to compile and then break down per country. And there's obviously, you know, there's lots of cross-referencing and trying to pick out subtypes. And so it's a really big job for them. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. It's, it's one of those things I think we've decided to take our time and make sure it's done right rather than rather than rush it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, this episode won't air for a couple of months uh, because I work three months ahead. So if if um, it's, you know, just I will always just go back and add the link in whenever it's whenever that is ready. I'll just put that in the show notes even after it's published. So, yeah, if you're listening to this towards the end of the year or next year, just check, see if the see if the uh, research is there. So I know you've gone through this from your kind of experience but what are the typical treatment options um, for PMDD and are there any lifestyle changes that might help? Yeah so stress reduction is a big one. Okay. Um, I know it's it's kind of you know it's literally a vicious cycle because if you're losing a week a month 10 days a month you do tend to sort of go once once you felt so terrible once it lifts once that black cow cloud kind of lifts they call it like superwoman phase so you literally have this burst of energy where you're like I can do everything and you start saying yes to things and taking on too much and I think it's it's managing your expectations and managing not to take on too much and saying no to things perhaps um and really building a lifestyle that works for you um that's as stress-free as life can be yes yeah (laughs) easier said than done um then nutrition obviously you know they advise you know a balanced healthy diet um cut out sugar as much as possible cut out caffeine as much as possible um I have to say this isn't my area of expertise because I literally looking back I oh yeah, I, I think there's lots I could have done, but to be honest, I did everything I could. I literally just scraped by every month and just in my good days, I was like, do you know what? I want to go out for dinner. You know, I want to enjoy myself. I'm going to go out and I probably didn't look after myself as much as I could. But do you know what? I I did what I could. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I don't beat myself over it. But if people are interested, there's actually a really good free webinar on the IAPMD YouTube channel. So I think it's called PMDD and Holistic Therapies. Um, So that's good. They talk through the first half is about acupuncture, yoga, uh, DBT, CBT. And then the second half is about nutrition. Okay, brilliant. That's super helpful. (laughs) Listening to that and hearing it from experts than me um so in terms of the treatment plan so if you want um information on treatment you can google naps pms guidelines so that's the national association of premenstrual syndromes in the uk and you can download their treatment guidelines or you can go um, iapmd.org slash treatment dash options i've said this all to you thank you and so the first line therapies are ssris antidepressants uh, which are actually statistically one of the best treatments for PMDD. Uh, it works for about 60 to 70% of people. You can take it in a number of different ways. So some people take it all month round. 
some people take it loosely, so they just take it for two weeks a month, which it works on a different part of the brain. They don't understand it yet. There's research being done. It works on a different part of the brain and it works in a different way than it does for depression. So it doesn't take the two weeks to kick in. It kicks kicks in very quickly. So some people can just take it loosely, so for two weeks a month. Some people can just take it for a week a month. They just take it when their symptoms rise. So like if it's in week three, they just take it for the month. Then there's oral contraceptives, um, which, again, work really well for a lot of people. Um, but listen to your body. If you know it's not working for you, don't put yourself through it. Uh, because I think a lot of people, including myself, being told by healthcare professionals, they kind of invalidate those concerns. But if you know they're not working for you, then you don't have to keep pressing yourself through it. And then second line in the UK, um, sadly not around the rest of the world yet, but in the UK, it's hormone therapy. So under a specialist, they start using uh, HRT. Right. Okay. um, To sort of try and flatten out the cycle so you're not having the fluctuations. Obviously, if you have endometriosis, that starts making things very difficult because a lot of the treatment is estrogen based. Yeah. Yeah. Might be a problem. <laughs> exactly. So that's another reason to be under a, a really good specialist who knows what they're doing. I should say, actually, in so in Sweden at the moment, they're in stage B of clinical trials for a PMDD specific treatment called sopranolone. And that is looking really positive and it looks like it reduces symptoms by about 80%. Wow. So that should if it goes through and keeps going the way it's going hopefully be available in about four years okay. hopefully um if anyone wants to look it up it's asarina pharma a-s-a-r-i-n-a pharma in sweden and so it's the world's first pmdd specific treatment um a few others have been licensed for pmdd but a lot are used off license so that potentially if you have endometriosis and pmdd potentially a really positive thing on the horizon which is exciting so it's non-hormonal it acts on the it sort of um deactivates the malfunction in the brain okay wow that's interesting it specifically works on the very very core cause of pmdd (laughs) so that's really exciting so that you know i wish i could tell it was available now everyone you know i I wish it was available now because I know so many friends are having to go through hysterectomies and ovary removal and being put into surgical menopause, you know, in their in their twenties. And there's some people that really want children. You know, for me it wasn't as much of a factor, but I think there's I imagine the same with well not maybe not so much with endometriosis because hysterectomy kind of doesn't cure it, does it? it no, it's quite I mean it's very much a last resort and it's not a recommended I wouldn't it's not really like a treatment per se it's a last resort and it doesn't always work got you yes I think I remember reading quite a bit about that so it's you know it's very difficult when people I think you know there's a really good article that was um, having to choose between your fertility and your mental health you know it's which one do you pick yeah 
you know, which which do you pick? I certainly, when I had PMDD, wasn't in a position to raise children and I wasn't in a position to worsen my symptoms anymore because generally it does get worse after having children. Right, okay. Um, anecdotally, it seems to get worse after every child from what shows on support groups. So I wasn't in a position to put myself through that. However, you know, there's so many people I know that wanted children and I've unfortunately had to make, you know, the decision to have the surgery when nothing else has worked. So it's it's a tough one. So, yeah, I was thinking, you know, well, this is going to be available, you know, in five years. Can I hang on? And the answer was a big, definite no. <laughs> you know, be in my mid-40s by then and missed another five years of life. So Yeah, no, I totally yeah. understand. Yeah, so – and. So hormone therapy, yes, is currently the second la- second stage treatment. Third line, third stage treatment is chemical menopause um, with HRC add back. Um, don't know how that works for endo because you endo chem- chemical menopause is a treatment for endometriosis as well, isn't it? Yes, there's solid X. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how that would work with the estrogen, but yeah. Um, they have to obviously be careful with that because it endometriosis, yeah. Yeah, you're shutting it down at one point and speeding it up on the other. Yeah, yeah. So there must be some kind of some kind of balance in that that they do. Yeah, yeah, there must be because I know people that have had both and they've gone through it. So then, yeah, once it seems it, the, the kind of the chemical menopause is a bit of a test really to make sure that you do have PMDD and you don't have something else such as bipolar. A lot of people are misdiagnosed with bipolar instead of PMDD. And also some people who have PMDD, it's a lot rarer, (laughs) are then diagnosed. um, Sorry, a lot of people with PMDD actually have bipolar. That's so interesting. Yeah, so it's it's making sure, you know, if people in an ideal situation, so the chemical menopause would be used and you'd be symptom free, you know, to show that that is what the the issue is. Whereas if you have bipolar, you'd still have the, the breakthrough symptoms however then you know for me so the chemical menopause only works for about 70 percent of people who have pmdd so it didn't work for me i was just awful all month round on it instead of 10 days so it's not a foolproof treatment unfortunately that would be nice yeah no i see what you're saying and then would the last stage then be hysterectomy yeah so some people um, who respond really well to chemical menopause can stay on it um, long term as long as you're under a good specialist who monitors you. Um, that's obviously if you're on HRT to protect your bones. I don't think you'd be able to have it long term without the HRT benefits. Um, so, yeah, you, I know some people that have stayed on it for like 10 years. Um, so that's an option. But then generally it's used for about six months as a tester and then. Um, yeah, the hysterectomy with ovaries out as well is kind of the last line when everything else has failed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what the same. It's the same with with endo, mm-hmm. but maybe with yours, it's it's more classified as a treatment, perhaps. Where I think some of the endo community hesitate to call it a treatment for endo, at least. Yeah, it's a. I don't know really. I don't know. Last line option. Is it, is it? It's difficult to say. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally know what you mean. But 
Okay, so that's really helpful. And and there's you'll you'll send us over the treatment um, guidelines that are online. Yeah, send some links. I have to say as well, if anyone so if anyone has any questions about PMDD or wants to talk to someone that understands, so IAP PMD offer a free peer support service. Oh great. So it's available to anyone around the world that has any questions that's affected by PMDD. It doesn't have to be you personally. If you're worried about a friend, if you're worried about a partner, um, you can reach out to them and speak to someone who has been um personally has lived experience of a premenstrual disorder. So we have um, trained peer providers that are trained in suicide intervention and they're there to ask. You don't have to be in crisis. They're there if you are in crisis. But if you just want to ask questions, if you want resources, if you want pointed to doctors, if you want pointing to self-care plans or information, they're there and it's all free. So you just go onto the IAPMD website and a pop-up comes up if you're on the laptop. Or you can go to iapmd.org and it's forward slash peer dash support. And they're a really lovely team. It's They're really good, I have to say. I'm biased, but I know them all. <laughs> and they're good people. You know, they're there to listen and they're there to help anyone kind of through the journey that's figuring it out because it can be really scary and isolating. And so having someone there that you don't have to explain it to I think is kind of golden because so many people like myself included you go for years not speaking to anyone that understands your language what you're trying to say and I imagine it's the same as when you meet a fellow endo do you call them endo warriors endo <laughs> warriors yeah yeah I mean people do say endo sisters but I'm a little bit hesitant to use that term so yeah same. endo kind warriors of, it used to be pmdd sisters and we've moved to pmdd peeps okay <laughs> nice. to be more inclusive yeah and I think just I'm more comfortable with that as well so um I imagine it's the same when you meet someone that has the same condition that you, as you and you speak this universal language the way you can say to someone you know I'm on day 23 and people go oh okay you know yeah they just yeah. understand it you don't have to explain you, you know it's it's just really important to have that community around you I think you know, if it's something that's really affecting you. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think that sounds brilliant. You guys do so much, so, such amazing work. And the fact that PMDD is still so under the radar and you do face a lot of challenges when it comes to getting the correct medical care, I think it's essential that you have that community. Oh, definitely. I have learned so much from people. I've learned more from the PMDD community than I have any doctor. That's not disrespecting doctors. Met some lovely ones, <laughs> really. I totally understand. No, it's. I used to be really angry at doctors. I used to be really angry at every doctor that hadn't heard of it, and now I'm a bit more involved in it. I realise it really is just like a big systematic issue. It's not just PMDD. It's women's health in general, and it's a lack of screening. Mm-hmm. Like it's a. You no, know, is it? It's not that person's fault. They were never taught it. It's that person's fault if they're, excuse me, but if they're an arsehole and pretend to, <laughs> and pretend to ignore, you know, we have people being told it doesn't exist and it's not real. And it's just an Americanism for PMS that people are imagining it. You know, we've had, oh, your poor husband, you know, oh just, you know, in that case, 
you're an arsehole and I dislike you. However, if it sounds to a lack of education and a lack of training, then you can't really blame the individual. So, yeah, it, it's something that has to massively change across women's health. Yeah. In general, you know, I used to think it was just PMDD because that's, you know, all I'd known. Um, but then the more you kind of get involved in women's health and reproductive health, you realize actually, no, there's so many things going undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, mistreated. And it has just such an effect on people's lives. You know, we, we see people who go to a doctor who get laughed at or mocked or told it doesn't exist and they will suffer on for another three, four years before they go back. Absolutely. Yes. Dangerous. It's so dangerous. And you know, in the case of when people are suicidal, it's really dangerous to just dismiss them and let them and leave them thinking it's their fault or it's a personality defect or it's a weakness. You know, it's really dangerous and it is something that really has to change. I'm so pleased that menstrual education, I heard, what was the phrase I heard? Menstrual well-being? Menstrual well-being, but I like this. They called it clitoracy. <laughs> Who came up with that? <laughs> I don't know. I heard it somewhere. They were just like, it's all about um, un- women understanding their bodies. And they were like, it's called clitoracy. Amazing. I, like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it's so, I, I have I've got a friend, an intelligent friend who has had a baby and she thought you read out your vagina. I was saying, no, there's another hole. Like, how yeah. Like, no, because you know, and I'm like, how do you wee when you've got a tampon in? And she's like, well, the tampon just gets wet. And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. You have a child. <laughs> Come out of it. Yeah. No, completely. I. I mean, I have a friend who um thought that when you have sex, you could just wee the see like the sperm out. Wow, that would be a skill. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, she said that to me recently. And she had, yeah, oh, bless she's got her. kids now. And, but oh, I mean, I'm 30. Wait. She said this to me like last year. Wow. I was like, babes, no. Oh, that is, imagine if that was your birth control. Going for a week afterwards. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much was. Oh my God. Of kids. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. If only, that would be an easy one. No more <laughs> hormonal birth control. Just go. <laughs> yeah but you know it's not her fault it's just no it is yeah. completely lack of education and lack of normalizing it yeah you know guys always talk about the junk and measure it you know and you know if women sit and look at their bits in the mirror they're kind of laughed at you know yeah. I think everything's going on I think do you know the Eve appeal yes yeah you know what Karen does her stand up about normalizing smear tests and internals and vulvas and you're just like it's so important that people just learn to say those words and not be embarrassed by it and realize they can talk about these things you know I say vagina all the time I know like I say every day I know and I I say it really inappropriately in job interviews like I need to learn to shut up (laughs) but (laughs) you know it's I just think there's so much good stuff going on at the moment. There's a really good, I mean, obviously it's been going on for years. I just, I just feel like it's kind of hit a bit of a, an uprise. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, not discrediting all those, you know, I know there's people been doing this stuff for years and big them up for getting it this far, seriously. But I think there's just been a really good uplift lately talking about it. But I mean, you, you still see like, you know, spur, um, smear test number uptake is down. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. There's still so much misinformation. There's still, it's, it's, it's worrying. There just needs to be so more. There needs to be women's centres, I think, in every town um, that are available, you know, and should be there for everyone that has female reproductive organs, you know, not just women, women, you know, assigned people that find female at birth also. A really inclusivity for anyone that has any reproductive health issues where they can go and be understood and be treated properly it would just save so much suffering and it was actually save so much money I know that's the thing it's like well even if you don't really care about us I know you care about money so just let's be smart about this exactly I lost you know I haven't been able to work full-time for 17 years when I had PMDD yeah so why if they just I don't know diagnosed me sooner or helped me sooner or something I don't know how much it would have helped we have families breaking up you know we have the the costs of it it's just scary it's really staggering Mm, yeah I mean I mean endometriosis costs the UK economy eight billion pounds a year so if we treated it better then yeah you know less suffering yeah you know that's a scary figure it is Mm -hmm. it is well, I want to kind of wrap up now, but just to end um, on some kind of like practical practical tips. Do you have like, even if it's just one thing, anything that has made it easier for you to cope with PMDD that you could share with anyone listening? I think for me, it's very much been about having online support. I I think for me, knowing when things got bad, when I was sat in a car in a car park you know sobbing my heart out and I couldn't stop and it felt like the world was ending to me knowing I could just pick up my phone and go on the support group and be like I was sat in a car park and this is happening that's happening and this is what started it and having like just a team of people being like it's okay are you safe this will pass are you near any shops? Can you go and get a drink? Have you had water? Do you know what I mean? And not being chastised or being told you're being dramatic or things that well-meaning people say, you know, um, about pulling it together or it'll be better tomorrow or, you know, just, just misunderstandings actually make you feel worse. To have a team of people that just completely say, yeah, I know, I was there last week, you know, this all, it can get better, you know, be safe, you know, go and walk around Tesco's for an hour if you need to not go home, but don't sit in a unsafe car park, like go to a safe car park, you know, or something, just that understanding, I think for me was huge 
absolutely huge. And I had, you know, I got really good friends and I think people try to understand, but I think until you've been through it, you can't understand why this tidal wave of emotions is kind of knocking someone down from the inside. I think you really can't understand it unless you've been through it or something very, very similar. So for me that would always be you know and it's not for everyone some people really don't like the online groups they find it depressing or it brings them down or whatever it's fine you know, find something that works for you find a group that works for you find you know whatever it may be search for it until you find it and but I think that for me that has literally been a lifesaver and so my other bit of advice <laughs> is read, 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 read and learn because I'm always amazed at how much people, how many people don't learn the basics of what it is. You know, there's really clear, it's really clear information out there. And if this is something that's ruining your life and, you know, nearly costing you your marriage and all the other things that come with it, you know, sit down for an hour and read about it, print stuff off, get a highlighter. You know, just from reputable sources, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like IABMD or, you know, other reliable sources and learn what it is. Learn what the trigger is. Learn why it is doing to you what it does. So you can advocate for yourself because how are you going to go in and fight your cause if you don't understand what it is? You know, and in an ideal world, we didn't wouldn't have to do that because you'd be going in to see a doctor that knew what it was better than you. That would be lovely. However, that's generally not the experience yet. So you really do have to go in there and know your stuff. Mm. So learn, seriously, just learn, learn, learn. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you for taking time to come on your Monday evening and share all of your knowledge and information with us um i'm going to make sure i put all of the um references that you mentioned into the show notes um so if anyone wants further information the websites are all in there laura thank you so much for being here so welcome i love what you're doing and i think it's so important thank you i like it <laughs> all right well take care and have a lovely start to the week thank you you too cheers bye, bye. so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.